Good morning, church. Take out your Bible and turn to the book of Esther. We're going to be in chapter 4 today, so find your way there. We are in our third week in the summer series, walking through this uh, incredible, amazing book of the Old Testament. Historical record of something that God did, and he put himself on display in the Persian Empire, and it's all here for our benefit. Amen? Everything in the scriptures is here for us to, to, to look at and to consider and to see God and to see us. And then think about what does it mean for us. Uh, even in the New Testament, they tell us, it tells us, Paul said that we are, it's meant for our instruction, for our benefit, our exhortation. It's meant for us. And so today I want us to take you into this chapter 4. And I want us to ask those questions about our lives and where we live and what God might have for us. But what we see up to this point is Esther has become queen through a long process. Mordecai, her adopted father, tends to just hang out at the King's Gate. The King's Gate is kind of like modern-day Washington, D.C. It's where all the powers that be assemble and debate and, and talk about things. And also, they, they have to be there because the king may need them, and they have to be accessible. He has to be able to bring them in, but they, can have to stay, but they have to stay outside until he asks them. And so that's what you have here. Mordecai is in the midst of that kind of context. So uh, Esther, a Jew, has been elevated to queen sort of royal family, if you will. But then we saw last week Haman, the Amalekite, has been elevated to prime minister. Or if we had a royal family in America, it would be like the president of the United States. Um, a really high position, a ruling position, and he's an Amalekite, which means he's the arch enemy of the Jews. Uh, the Amalekites attacked the Jews in the Exodus for no reason. God declared that their name would be wiped out from the earth. Um, and so here we have one of those uh, descendants rising to power as well as a Jew. And both of these are arch enemies of one, one, each one. The Jews declare that God's going to remove the memory of the Amalekites. The Amalekites obviously would respond to that and say that would be great for the Jew, to happen to the Jews as well. Um, and so what we see last year is that the king declared a decree, and what this is, binding law. This is the Supreme Court issued a ruling, and it is bound. Through all the provinces of Persia, Haman, that, that, that he, they are to bow to Haman. Well, it's law. Well, now Mordecai will not bow to Haman. And um, Mordecai probably knows I'm putting my life on the line by not bowing. And now that every people notice that I'm not bowing, now I'm in trouble and I get it. Um, but he thinks Haman will probably execute him because of his disloyalty to the law. And uh, so he feels like he's probably going to get executed, but he's willing because he's not going to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of thing. And what happens is Haman says, you know what? He learns that that Mordecai is a Jew. And he says, you know what, not only am I going to ex execute Mordecai, I'm going to execute all of the Jews in the whole Persian Empire. And I'm going to annihilate them. He goes to the king, he offers to pay for the whole enterprise. The king says, you know what, if we have a people who are not obeying our laws, and they need to be executed, well then, you do what you need to do. Since you're paying for it, go ahead. Do what you need to do to these people. And uh, so Haman gets that ruling. And the ruling comes out. And um, all the Jews get word that this ruling has come forth. Um, and it's almost an inescapable condemnation of all the Jews in the entire Persian Empire. Um, and what that meant was, basically, that anywhere in any province of the Persian Empire, which was basically from India all the way through to Greece down to North Africa, that whole area, on a certain day... People could go find Jews who were, who were actual Jews, 
and kill them and take their property. So it was like hiring mercenaries all across the empire to just go do this thing. And it meant bad things for the Jews. Um, and you wouldn't have repercussions for that. And Haman is saying, and I'll even help you, fun I'll fund the project if you need help. And he's going to fund it. And so all of this has been dictated. It's going to happen on, on a particular day in the empire. And today, that's the context. And that's the Jews have just heard the decree of the king that this is going to happen. And we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. And let's read, but as we do, remember, let's read what's happening. Let's see it in our mind's eye and heart. And let's let the Lord show us himself, ourself, our own lives in it. Okay? Verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city, and cried loudly and bitterly. He only went as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was a great mourning, there was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he could take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends the golden scepter will that person live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for, th for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we... Um, as we just pause for this moment and open our hearts and our minds to you and your word, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, guide us by your spirit, give us discernment, wisdom, and insight. Uh, and Lord, help us hear you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see you, Holy Spirit. Shine into our life your will. Give us courage to follow you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Mordecai and all the Jews feel condemned and in danger, and they mourn, and they put on sackcloth, which is basically just mourning and sadness and weeping and wailing. And Esther finds out, wants to know why. Uh, Mordecai wants to make sure that she's educated on the decree and says, you have to go to the king. You're the queen. You have to go to the king and appeal on, on behalf of the Jewish people. And Esther initially responds by saying, I can't just go talk to him. He hasn't, I have to be summoned, and, I, and he hasn't summoned me in 30 days. If I just bebop up in there, he's going to kill me. I can't do that. I don't have what you think I have. I, don't, I can't do what you think I can do. And Mordecai responds and challenges her positions and says, oh, no. <laughs> you need to think this through very carefully. And in that process, Esther has a transition of heart um, that propels her in the processing of Mordecai's engagement with her, in that processing, the questions she comes to, the answers that she comes to, propel her into God's purpose for her life in this moment. And so she asks a few questions. Now, um, I, I see five questions that she asks, and she answers them. And as she asks these questions about her life, she gets propelled into the purpose and the will of God for her individually in her life. And I want us to do that together this morning for our lives. I want us to follow the processing that Esther followed, ask the questions that she was asking, and answer those questions for each one of us, and let, God, and let that propel you individually into what God may have for your life. And so I want to look at that. Questions that propel us into God's purpose for our lives. And the first question that we ask is this, where am I? Where am I? Mordecai appeals to Esther by forcing her to think, hey, look where you are. You are the queen of the Persian Empire. You are the wife and queen of the king. Look at your position. You have a position no one else has. God put you there. So when you think about where you are, you have to conclude, and Esther has to conclude, that I'm not here by random coincidence. God placed me where I am. And this is not only true for Esther. You have to ask this of yourself as well. And it's true of every human being, actually. Where are you? And when you think about where you are, think about this. Where you are is a God-given gift. Paul said that in Acts 17, 26 with the Mars Hill sermon. And he said, uh, and he made from one man every nation, talking about God, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So populate the earth, that's God's deal. And then it says, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God determined when you would be born, when you would live, and where you would live. Praise God he put us in Texas. Amen. And he put us in Texas when it's actually Texas. Now, right now, right? Not like 200 years ago when it wasn't Texas, you know. Uh, he put us here. And, and what Paul is saying is, is that's true of every human being on the planet. You, you should not think of your life and your position and where you are as some random coincidence and a collision of two people that came before you. And it just so happens, here you are. No. I don't care how you got here. 
It doesn't matter what two people collided and got you here. God determined you would be here. You are not an accident. You are not a, a collision of molecules that just r- randomly came together and there you are. No. God put you here. You are here because he put you here. And he put you here for this time and this place. And you have a purpose. So God has put you where you are. And why? To serve his purposes through your life. He has a purpose. So where are you? Esther was a queen. Powerful position. Where are you? You might say, oh, you know, I'm a plumber. Um, in Austin. I'm, I work at the Shake Shack. Um, at the back, in the back room. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm an accountant. You know? You think of yourself like that. But you know this? That God will use you. Wherever you are, because he made you to be there and be present, and he will use you right in that space. You, to tap into your purpose, though, you need to ask, where am I? And not just think about where you are in light of, oh, where do I happen to be? But think about it, where has God placed me on this earth? Where has God placed me? Because he has. Um, and God wants to use you in whatever that is. Amazing Grace, if you've not seen this movie, um, I encourage you to watch it. It's a, it's a really incredible movie about William Wilberforce. He was a politician in Britain um, a long time ago, and he actually was related to John Newton and, uh, and actually had dialogue, dialogue with John Newton through letters and things like that. Um, but on the movie, you'll see he actually talks to John Newton, and, uh, and, and he says, I think I'm called the ministry. In other words, what what, what William Wilberforce thought was is that to be used by God, I need to be in the clergy. I need to be a preacher of the gospel. And John looks back at him and basically says, you are in the ministry. You are in the ministry. Well, he's a politician. Well, it just so happened, Will, William Wilberforce would be used to fight the battle against the institution of slavery in Britain. And in 1807, it would become illegal in Britain for slavery to exist legally. It's illegal for slavery. The huge decision that had massive ripple effects all over the world, the British Empire and also other countries, and it has affected all of the Western world. In fact, those ripple effects made it to America by the late 1800s, and it created a civil war in the midst of our nation in which slavery became also illegal. Massive ramifications, and man, if he would have gone and been clergy, it might not have ever happened. One man, one man fought to end the institution of slavery. And think of the ripple effects. If he would have said, only God uses really preachers. God will use you where you are. So where are you? You should not assume that you are where you are by coincidence and random chance. God has placed you where you are. Embrace that. Think it through. Consider it. It's significant. Secondly, what do I have? What do I have? Great question. Think about what Esther had. Beauty, which was God-given. Um, she couldn't claim, yeah, I kind of I did a little sculpting and came up with it. No, God just gave it to her, right? And in fact, it would be the tool that would like propel her into the king, and the king would go, yep, beautiful. Uh, she had that thing, and it was a God-given thing. Born at a particular time. Initially, her instincts were probably 
to think of what she had and use what she had for her own safety and her own welfare. Did you hear what Mordecai says? Do not presume. Do not think you're going to be safe and you're going to navigate this horrible nightmare because you're in the castle. That You should not assume that. She probably assumed that this might be a horrible thing, but I might be safe. She's going to take what she has. What does she have? Beauty? Some level of power and influence? And access. She has access to the king. Access that no one else might be able to get. What does she have? And she might be thinking about these things in terms of how it benefits me or it might protect me. It might protect me. In the midst of this terrible situation. And Mordecai makes her flip that on its head. And says do not presume that you can control your own safety. Only God can do that. You're only safe when you're with him. And if you're going to fulfill his purpose. That's the safest place you can be. Don't presume that you are safe. Because you can control your situation. And take what you have. And control your life. So what do you have? You think about it. One, it's resources. You ever done inventory? Resources? Every single one of us in here have incredible resources. And we might not think much of them, but we do. We have incredible resources. We are incredibly wealthy in comparison to world history. We are in the most prosperous economy that has ever existed on the planet. Y'all know that? The most prosperous economy that's ever existed on the planet. And guess what? God determined you would be born at the time when we're the most prosperous economy in all of the planet. He could have determined that you're going to be born in 11th century Mongolia. And you'd be scraping pennies together trying to just eat. Could be. An opportunity for you. But he put you here. He put you in this economy. He gave you the wits that you have. The smarts to be able to to be able to do the things that acquire wealth and get resources. He gave you the ability to be educated by certain other people. There's educational institutions that give you the ability to do other things that make you even more prosperous. He put all of this around you and he gave it all to you. He gave you resources. Think of what you have. Think of what you have. Influence. You may have influence. You may be a person that has a lot of influence. And don't conclude to yourself that what I have is stuff that I, made, I, I gave me. Everything you have was given to you, even your place of influence and all the resources you have. All of that is a culmination of God's abundance to you. And you have to see what you have as a gift from God. Influence, resources. Um, we could go into the shape. You know, we as a church went through shape several summers ago. And where we look at ourselves and we say, what has God shaped me to do? In this earth, and we talked about the acrostic, y'all can see, spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts to every believer to contribute to the building up the body. And then when the body is built up, the gospel goes forth in a community and power. And everybody plays a role in that. We're going to be talking about that in July. You have a spiritual gift to contribute to the whole spiritual work of the kingdom. Um, and then heart, that's just stuff that you love to do. You enjoy doing it. Hobbies, uh, things that just when you do it, it feels fulfilling and it just satisfies you. Abilities, certain things you're just born with. You have a knack for it and, and you're just better at it than other people and you're really good at something. You just have a, 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 a ability, a God-given ability. Personality, you are wired in certain ways. 
And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Some of us are introverts, extroverts. You can name it. All the different multicolored personalities that are out there and shapes and all kinds of sizes of personalities. And God has your personality for you, and he made you that way. And there's no escaping it in a sense. There might be polishing it, but there's no escaping it. So what would God want to use your personality to do? And then experiences. There is no wasted experience in God's economy. Bad experiences that you've gone through, good experiences that you've had, all experiences culminate in God bringing about purposes in your life. Even the bad things that happen is an experience, and God may want to take that experience that you have and use it for his own purposes in the world. Take time to really evaluate. Evaluate. What do I have? What do I have? But not just think about what I have. Think about what, has, what do I have, and I need to look at them as God-given. He has been abundant to me. And I need to think about what I have. Esther would think influence, access, position. And I don't want to just take those things that God's given me and use them for my own purposes, my own selfish ambition, my own protection. I want to take the resources God's given me, the things I have, and I want to offer to him for his purposes. This is, you know, you might, you might have a whole lot more than you think you have. start praying, you start thinking to yourself, what do I have? I think you'll find you have a lot more than you think you do. Third question, what can I do? Esther's first thought, there's nothing I can do. Like a kid, you know, you tell him to do some yard work and he goes, I couldn't find the rake. Oh, come on, come on, let's go. Oh, here it is. Uh, I couldn't find it. I couldn't see it. You could feel Mordecai as a dad, right, with Esther here? Like, oh, oh, oh no, yeah, you can do something, right? Uh, this is the idea. Mordecai is saying, uh, she's, she's basically saying, I, I, he hadn't summoned me in 30 days, and I can't just be up in there. You don't know. There's a law. He'll kill, he'll kill me. So I can't do anything. And Mordecai goes, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. What can you do? What can you do? Most of us think of ourselves as not able to do very much. Most people underestimate their capability. There are some who overestimate, yes. Yes. But most of us significantly underestimate what we're actually capable of doing in our life. Most of us. And Esther says, there's nothing I can do. And Mordecai basically says, oh, yes, there is. There is certainly something you can do. With what you have, there is something you can do. So look around you and ask, is there a problem I can contribute to the solution with? What comes to mind? I thought about like just walking through this and then having you write it down on a card. Couldn't get it printed in time. Anyway, but think about it. Where are you? What do you have? What can you do? Is there a good that you can do in the world in which you live? And it's maybe even a simple thing. What can you do with what you have and where you are? And let God guide you there. Because here's the reality. There is a myriad of things you can do. The problem is we often don't take the time to think about what it is we can do. And we underestimate our ability to actually do it. Fourthly, what will it cost me? Right? For Esther, that 
came to forefront immediately. Mordecai, oh yes, you can talk to him. And Esther goes, oh, well, I, I can, but it will cost me my life probably. I might die. That is incredible risk. You know, there's either like live or die in this particular thing I can do. And Mordecai is saying, you can do it, you should do it. What, what will it cost me is a great question because the life God uses for his own purposes is filled with cost and reward. You are constantly going to be prodded by Christ, his spirit, to say, will you let go of the scraps to gain something greater? He will always put that. You're going to run into situation after situation after situation where he is going to put his finger on the nerve. And, this, and the question is going to be, will you let go of the lesser so that you can have the greater? Will you give the cost? Will you, will you give that up so that you can have this, the greater thing? Will you sell the property to get the treasure? Right? It's constant. It's going to be constant in your life. And if, if you want a cost-free walk with Christ, stop now and go and leave. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Walking with Christ in this world for his glory is going to involve levels of risk, cost associated with great reward in following him. That means that if you want to live on purpose with Christ in your life and for his purposes, it will require courage, trust. And courage is not the absence of fear or risk. Courage is the conquering of your fears and taking the risk for the greater purpose more than just yourself. It's putting it on the line and saying, I'm not in it for me. I'm in it for Christ and his purpose in my life. And I'm willing to go and place, and, and place it there and take that risk. What will it cost me? It will cost you. Yes, it will cost you. But the game, but the game, oh, it's so worth it. You're really not, let, you're nearly not risking. If you could get on the other side of it and look back, it's not a risk. Why? Because when you got God, you got everything. Everything. It's not a risk. And you shouldn't fear. You know, you also should think this. Not just what it will cost me to do something. What will it cost me not to? What will it cost me not to follow God and his purpose for my life? Mordecai says something powerful here. Listen carefully. He says, he says, the Jews will be delivered. Mordecai had a theological position that the Jews will not be annihilated. We might be persecuted and hurt and banged up. But we will persevere and we will be preserved. Why? The sovereign almighty God will guard us. Esther, it can be through you. And if not, it'll be somebody else. You want in? You want into this? You want God to use you? You want to be used of God? You want to like come into the, to the collision of the purpose of God in this very moment in your life? You want to come into this? We will be preserved. We will not be annihilated. Why? Because it's all about the gospel of God. The Messiah comes from us. God is going to preserve his gospel. He is going to take care of us. Do you know that God is actually in control? He's actually in control. 
And do you know that God is truly working all things according to the counsel of his own will? Even those who oppose him. He's working even that opposition into the counsel of his own will. Sometimes that feels very thin and flimsy, I know. But it doesn't make it less true. God is in control. And, and you need that as a bedrock. Concrete rock in your soul. And that's what Mordecai had. And that's what Esther needed. If she was going to step out and pay the price of what it costs to walk with God in purpose, I have to know he has me. He has me. If I perish, I perish. He will raise me up. If I die, I die. He's the God of the resurrection. <laughs> He's the God of the living. I can really say that. God was about to put himself on display for the world to see. For all of the Jews in the Persian Empire to see. God is about to put himself on display in the darkest hour with the greatest act. He's about to do all of that. And he says, Esther, you're my main character. You want in? If you remain silent, if you shrink back at something you could do, don't think. You win and you're going to be safe. If, if Esther joins God, it's the ride of her life. She can't see that in the moment. There's no guarantees. Everything's in front of her, right? And you'll have that too. I will too. Everything's in front of me. No guarantees. All the odds, all the math, all that stuff in front of you. Do I go there? Do I go here? Do I go there? Do I do nothing? I know what God's asking me to do. No guarantees. No guarantees. Trust. I think about this all the time as the pastor of this church. I know 100% that God is going to fulfill his purposes for the gospel kingdom in South Austin in Dripping Springs and in Butte Kyle, and there is no question about it. His gospel will advance. People will be saved. They will become disciples of Christ. That is going to happen. You can't stop it. We couldn't stop it in Acts. We couldn't stop it if we tried. As a matter of fact, the more pain, <laughs> very painful to kick against the goads. <laughs> it's very painful to kick against God's will. He is going to accomplish that goal in South Austin, Dripping Springs, and Butte Kyle. And I think about that as a pastor in a church. But you know what? A church can sit on its hands, shrink back from the Great Commission and the risk associated with that and the tensions associated with that on being aggressive with the gospel in our community and representing Christ as fully as he says. We can shrink back. We can sit on our hands. We can abdicate our responsibility and give over the gospel ministry to someone else. And he does it all the time. Churches are handing the keys over all over this country. Why? got nice and comfortable and all of a sudden the things that God has given them is for them it's for them and they feel safe they feel comfortable they feel taken care of and they neglect the mission and God raises up another and moves right on with his kingdom God said you know what Mordecai is telling Esther Esther you can be in on the greatest thing that's ever <laughs> been even told this is going to be an incredible story and you'll be remembered you can be in on that it's risky, may cost you your life, but man, the reward. You're not gonna, but, but if not you, he will use someone else. He will use someone else. 
See, the pathway of purpose may have cost, but it has something else too. And you know what that is? Joy. Joy. The most miserable experience is the path of self-absorption. You taking what God has given you and using it for your own purpose, your own safety, your own comfort, your own security. Saving your life, Jesus called it. You think you could save your life? You can't save your life. you got to lose your life to save it, Jesus says. What do you mean? Lose it to me and you actually save your life. Keep your life, save your life, and you lose it. You think you can save your life? You think you can control what happens to you? You're not safe. You're only safe in him. You're only safe in him. The pathway to purpose, though, is the pathway of joy. It's miserable not to have a purpose. It's miserable to think of yourself as a random collision of molecules that just happens to be where you are. And you got this temporary little life and it's over eventually and you're forgotten. Yeah, that's joy. And the opposite is the Bible. No, God has you right where he wants you. You're existing because of his determination. And he does have a plan for your life. He does. And it includes all the stuff around you right now. That's where joy is. When you realize this is who I am, this is where I am, this is what I have, this is what I can do. This might cost me. I'm walking in God's plan. And the things I have, I give to him. And I let him use me in whatever way that might be. And one path, when I do this, it might lead to this. And then I'll do that and it leads to that. And he takes me where he wants me to go individually and us as a church. We need to ask that question. Don't ever shrink back from engaging the mission of the gospel in our community. Light and salt. He will use someone else. We want to be in on that, right? Yeah, it's risky. Yeah, it's full of tension. Yeah, there's, we could get hit and hurt. Yeah, absolutely. But it's worth it. And we don't have to control it because God's in control. He has us. Amen. Last question, am I willing? And I know, i got to wrap up. Let's go fast right here. Esther declares, if I perish, I perish. In other words, if he takes my life, he takes my life, so be it. Think about the freedom of that statement. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that and mean it fully from your heart? If I die, I die. I'm actually great. The only thing that offers you the ability to have that in your heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though you die, he will raise you up. You are eternally alive and related to your Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do in this life to lose. You cannot lose. Even though you die, you win. You win. And the second your eyes go closed, you will open them up and go, I was taken care of all along. I had nothing to worry about in my life ever. Don't wait. Till you wake up in heaven and in his presence to realize that. You can have it right now. That freedom is available to you right now. You've got to trust it by faith, but it's there. And you don't have it the second you trust Christ. You don't trust Christ and go, okay, if I die, I die. No, you grow in it. 
that freedom is there, and we grow in that freedom, and that freedom fills our heart more and more and more, and we're okay with it more and more and more. And we trust him, and we feel his peace that transcends all understanding. It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we trust him, we keep growing in this. To we can say, if I die, I die. If I die, I die. And guys, that's freedom. That's not courage, that's freedom. Because they're saying it because of what's in their heart. She's saying it what's in her heart. If I perish, I perish. It's the decision someone makes who says, I'm no longer going to think of where I am as random. I am no longer going to look at what I have and think of it as it's mine to use for my own good and my own safety and my own security. I am no longer going to assume I can't because I'm just little old me. I am no longer going to continue to think of myself first when there's a cost involved with being a part of God's greater work. And the reward is out there for me. I'm going to let go of whatever to get that. And if I perish, I perish. I lay it all down, trusting the Lord with everything. I put all my chips in the middle of the table with Christ. And in that position, I never lose. I cannot lose in that position. And I'm going to stay there. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to receive the peace and the joy that comes from that. I'm going to live in that. And if my heart starts getting starved of that, I'm going to fill it back up. Some of you may be looking at the economy, and in your heart, you are fearing. I know it's not most of you, but there may be someone here. As you've been looking at the analysts, and they're going, this is bad, y'all. We have never seen this before. And you're looking at that going, what's going to happen to me? Maybe I should start saving my life a little bit. Maybe I should start thinking about my own security and my own welfare, my own protection. If you think the world is a hard place because of economic downturn or the potential of it, the Jews were going to be annihilated. What a joke, but I know it is kind of funny. They're going to die, all of them. They would have welcomed an economic downturn. Don't look at an economic downturn in the most prosperous nation, in the most prosperous economy the world has ever seen and go, oh, what shall I eat? What shall I wear? You, uh, man, there's a fork in the road right here for a preacher. He just said preach it, and I'm like ready to go off. Uh, I probably need to uh, control my spirit here. But what Jesus says, what you need to feel is what Esther needs to feel, what Esther felt. And that is this. You can go in there and you can risk it all because I got you. God has our economy in his hand. And he has you. Don't you dare fear. Because what you're fearing is like somehow that you have to control your own life, that you have to protect you, that you've got to take care of you. No, no. Jesus says, man, I got the birds. You know, you see all, all over the place, somehow they keep alive, somehow. They, and the lilies of the field, I got it. I got them too. And you know what, you're much more important. I got you. you don't, don't look at this stuff. Now, I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm saying manage an economic downturn. If you see something coming, make wise moves and do all of that. But don't you dare fear in your heart. You have a God, a Father, 
who knows every hair on your head. What is that supposed to mean for us? Don't you dare fear. He loves you. He is your guard. He's got you. Feel the joy and the peace of God. Walk in that. And your heart doesn't need to tremble at this. Where was I? I'll just skip to the end for your sake. But the gospel gives us freedom with Esther. If I die, I die. That's a peace. That's a freedom. That's a joy. And then you can truly live. That's when you actually are living. Are you willing is the last question. Did I already say that? I'm all over the map. Okay. Let me give you a couple examples here that came to my mind. You're thinking queen, king, big politician kind of stuff. Now let me give you a couple examples of asking these five questions every day. Scott Eloquin in our church um, asked these five questions. Now he didn't go through the questions, uh, but I know that in the process of doing what he's done, he's asked the question. See, where am I? Retired. Uh, Scott, I think you're retired. I don't know exactly, but I'm assuming you're retired and uh, in Austin, Texas. And then what do I have? He has tech experience, entrepreneurship, started a company called Smart Dog and did a bunch of tech startup stuff. And he's in the tech industry and he knows a lot about tech. Um, he also has connections in the tech industry and lots of things like that. So then he asked, what can I do? I, I can, you know what? I can provide an app or an apparatus that connects Christians in the U.S. with skills and experiences and all kinds of things they can offer to missionaries on the field where there's very little resources available to them. And they can have people volunteer to help that missionary with accounting, uh, help that missionary with whatever they might be needing in that hard place where there's no resources. And I can connect them to the resources of Christians in America through an app. And he says, you know what? That's one thing I can do. What will it cost? Lots of time, effort, hard work, and sacrifice, and I'm sure lots of financial resources of his own pitched in. Is he willing? He said yes. And then we have tent makers. This is a ministry that he has begun, and he's just getting it off the ground right now. And you know what? I delight in the fact that Bannockburn, the missions team at Bannockburn, has just supported him financially just a little uh, to help him get it off the ground. We're, we're coming along with other partners to help him get this off the ground. If you want to volunteer, you can volunteer in uh, July. I think they're signing people up to be able to provide whatever you do and connect you to a missionary that might need that and, and do all of that stuff. So he's trying to build this from scratch. I think it's brilliant. But it's a guy who said, what do I have? What can I do? And, he's, and he's, he's hunkering in, and he's getting it done. And he's right here in our church. And it's in seed form. Amen. Praise God for that. Al, Al Beach, a close friend of mine, I don't know if he's here today, started a company that buys and sells health companies. And he said, you know what, I need to come up with a title. And he's asking about logos and stuff. He says, oh, well, you know what, Agenda Health is the name of it. And uh, he said, I'm starting a company, but I want my company, what does it look like to have a company Honor Christ and be run in a Christ-like way from top to bottom all the way around. I want Christ to be honored in it. And he says, I even want a cross in my logo. And it was like, how do you put a health industry cross thing? And I was like, well, he found a way. <laughs> he put a cross in his logo. But he's got this company, and, and he's trying to honor and disciple men within his company and all these type of things. And he's trying to honor Christ with as best he can, God's blessing his efforts. But what has he done? He's done the same process. Where am I? What do I have? What will it cost? Here we go. And so one other example, um, Alonzo Blankenship. Alonzo, are you here today? Hey, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. 
Stand up. Okay. Yeah. He's like, he's like shocked that I'm like, what? All right. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Alonzo. He's in the AISD. Uh, he's an assistant principal. I'll get this right. At Murkison Middle School. Uh, Murkison Middle School. He becomes the assistant at Murkison Middle School. And guess who else goes to Murkison Middle School? William Fashan, my son. I went, praise God. It's a divine appointment. You get to watch him. And you know what I said? I said, I said, Alonzo, I really didn't say this to him, but I thought, you know what, Alonzo, I'm from the South. You can spank him. If you see him doing anything, you, whoop, you take that paddle out and get to town. But I was like, thank you, Lord, for an Alonzo. Well, Alonzo, what did you do? Yeah, I'm at Murkison. I live for Christ. I'm at Murkison. I found myself at Murkison. And you know what? What he did was he said, I know Will, and I know some of Will's friends. And I also see an FCA program that has zero kids in it. It was like maybe three to five. It's fledgling. Very, very weak. It's getting so small. It was basically nothing. He plugs Will into the FCA. He introduces the FCA. He soon begins to build. And I was at the year end um, where he's just doing what he can where he is for the glory of Christ. And there's 1,200 students there, and there's three kids in FCA or something, three to five is what he told me. Um, and and. So he begins to invest, he begins to get Will involved, Will gets involved, and the SC program, I was standing in a classroom, a packed classroom of kids, leaders, and their families to do the year end this past year. And now I feel so great because Will's heading on to high school and we've left behind a thriving FCA program, a gospel witness, right in the middle of Murkison Middle School in the ISD program. Praise God for that. But it's all because one guy just decides, I'm living for Christ, I am where I am, and here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it. And so I, 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 the reason I... The reason I share all of this with you is to say, okay, queen, can't identify with that, right? But navigate this in your own life. And, I, and it could be. But you just start this in a very simple, small way, and then God gives you a rocket. You never know. You never know. You don't know what God can do. Just give him what you have. Give him what you have. Take the... Take the process here. Ask the question, where are you? What do you have? What can you do? What will it cost? And lastly... Are you willing? Are you willing? Say with Paul in Acts 20, 24, the Spirit said to Paul, you're going to Jerusalem, it's going to get bad. What does Paul do then? He goes, oh, I signed up for bad. I'll tell you what, I'm out, Lord. I'm out. No, what did he say? Acts 20, 24, but I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Oh, might that, that be totally who we are. Wherever we are, that he's using us. And there's a joy there. And we don't have to worry about controlling it. He has us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what happened here in this moment in Esther chapter 4. And all the beautiful dynamics that flow from this historical record of what took place. You put yourself on display and you involved a few people. And it's amazing for us to see. And Lord, help us in all these factors. Give us courage. Show us what we can do, what we have, what it might cost, but yet what we might gain. Give us a willingness. And Lord, at the end of our life, as we navigate and answer these questions continuously throughout our life, at the end of our life, Lord, we could look back and say, look how awesome you are. Thank you. So, Lord, we just give you praise today.
And we ask for your wisdom during this time of response. Hear our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We stand with you all across the room. Let's, let's pray and ask, ask the Lord to guide us during this response song.